We are in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 8. So chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even, even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in, in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want you to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That's the word of the Lord. So how, how are we as Christians today in 2020 and beyond, how are we to understand tithing and what it means? Well, the description, if we go to the Wikipedia, the description says a tithe is a one-tenth part of something paid as a contribution to a religious organization or compulsory tax government. Today, tithes are normally voluntary and paid in cash, check, or electronic offering, whereas historically, tithing were required in, and paid in kind, such as in agricultural produce, etc. Well, there is, however, one important matter to understand before we kind of can deal with what tithing really is. We need to deal with that of our understanding of how we view wealth and money or even the lack of that. But let us pray for true wisdom and understanding of what this means for us today. Our loving Father, we do come to you to ask that you will open our hearts to this message that Paul is teaching the Corinthian church, and much as well to us. We need to understand what this means and how we can live that out and be indeed honoring of your name. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Money is the root of all sorts of evil. Well, that for starters is a false statement. Uh, the true teaching that Jesus has given us is more than that. For he says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money has wandered from the faith and pierced himself with many griefs. At first, the first statement, of course, is a gross misuse of a biblical truth and have left, left the heart of the message out. Everything we do as Christians, 
will have at its center our very heart condition in how we understand, how we read the Bible. Another one is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Well, that happens also to be the message that you will hear in a lot of churches that teaching prosperity doctrine, which is also a gross misinterpretation of another biblical truth. Simply giving more money in tithing for the purpose of receiving greater blessings with higher income has no biblical basis whatsoever. In fact, it's a cruel lie as well as heresy. So do we appreciate the blessings of the Lord, such as good health, maybe ample food, uh, even money? Do we give to the work of the Lord because we love him and are driven by the love in our hearts to provide for his mission to the world? Is that what we do? If we chase money and wealth for the love of it, we're certainly not going to go a long way, are we? If we give money to get money, we also won't get too far. And maybe it's timely to also establish that having lots of money and even being extremely wealthy isn't against the teaching of the Jesus Christ at all. Just consider men we have in the Bible, examples of godly men, men like Job, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, never forget David, and let's just throw Solomon in there as well, for good measure. It's always good to have a bad example to contrast things a little bit better. All of them, all of these men were extremely wealthy. Solomon probably the most of them all. And he ends up in love with his wealth rather than loving he who had blessed him with that wealth. And as we know, his descendants suffered greatly for it, just as the Bible teaches us. It says, Bible people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And we know that the sins of the fathers also have likely consequences for the family. Now Solomon's family found that out. And more recent good example maybe for us is uh, in the 19th century, we had Arthur Arnott. He was a son of the founder of Arnott's Biscuits, uh, a strong Christian man, and uh, it believed he, he created the sale biscuit to celebrate a Salvation Army officer, of which he was one. And a large share of the proceeds of that product was then given to the Salvation Army for their work around the country. See, his gratitude for being saved and hence his love for the Lord is the driving force behind his generosity at that time. It was not for him to gain entry to heaven. He knew he had that already, but it was to give thanks for having been saved. And this driving force is actually what Paul now is speaking of in this particular passage. In verse 1, Now, brothers... We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. See, the grace now Paul speaks of is that of a changed heart by the grace and mercy of God. A grace and blessing of understanding what loving truly means. 
And Jesus speaks of that in the Beatitudes in Matthew 16, 6, 19 to 21. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. The thing we like the most are also likely where we will spend time with. Hobbies, sports, whatever. The place we enjoy the most to be is where we kind of hope to be. Could be holidays, couldn't it? The people that pleases us the most are also likely the people we will tend to please the most. It's a reciprocal. But in Matthew 5.47, also in the Beatitudes, we also read, and if you greet only your own people, aren't you doing, you're not doing any more than others. Even the pagans do that. We need to be beyond our own people in kindness and love and care and all the things that God calls us to be. We all have or should reflect on what true, the treasure, what we treasure most, where we really hope to be and just who is it that we really want to please with our lives. Such reflection will undoubtedly uh, gradually change maybe some of the things and how we do things, change the way we, do, we even react to the adverse things that comes at us from day to day. Verse 2 says, Out of the most severe trials, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. The churches in Macedonia had heard of the hardship and the suffering that was happening in the Jerusalem church. And they had wanted to care deeply for the brothers and sisters there, even if they themselves were in severe hardship. And it's also good to grasp the understanding that it is not out of wealth we should give, but maybe out of our hardship that we should give. The way Jesus spoke of that in Luke 21. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gift into the temple treasury. He saw also a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Huge difference. I can tell you a true story of some people living below the breadline, as it were. The woman would put aside 10% of every dollar she spent in the shop. The way she would match her own spending with what she gave to the Lord, and she had that as a practical way of outliving her faith, and yet was not neglecting his church. Again, this was driven solely by her gratefulness for having been saved, not as a means of trying to earn her way into heaven. That's pretty well what the Macedonian also did. Showing their undying love of God and their eternal gratefulness for salvation, and Paul then doubles down on all this. In verse 3, For I testify... 
He witnessed it, so he testifies to it, that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And Paul continues to dwell on this generosity. He says, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. They pleaded for a privilege of sharing. Words and terms that can only really be used if if we comprehend the enormity of salvation and what that means to us, and that there's nothing we can get here on earth that can even remotely compare to what we have already received from God, as he called you. It is not, however, all about tithing either, I should tell you. In verse 5, Paul says, And they did not do as we expected, the Macedonian churches, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Once saved, our walk with the Lord then becomes a whole of life issue for us. We know in our hearts that we are very much part of the family of believers, that we're also part of the caring for that family that we have been given, a whole big family. And that in turn means that we are called upon to help with visitation, churches, and all the aspects of that family life. That's what Paul speaks of when he writes, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. God's will for us is to wholeheartedly serve him and his church, his family, our family, and to provide for the temple, that being the church, And when we understand what this new temple really is, it's each and every Christian because we have him living in our hearts, his Holy Spirit, and that the fellowship is the family and then we are called by him to care for all those aspects of our lives. So it all bundles together. Everything is there. Serve him in and through the church and provide for the running of his churches, the ministry to the world. And Paul wants Titus to uphold all those values. In verse 6, So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. It simply means Titus is to train them in thinking godly terms of how they are to live their lives, live out their lives, and what all of that will entail day to day as they walk with the Lord. Paul also encouraged them greatly in verse 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. He's basically saying, yes, you are a lovely bunch. Honoring the Lord with much But please do not leave out some parts. It is a whole of life issue to walk with the Lord. I'm not commanding you, Paul says, but I want you to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. See, if we don't have the view of what the church family does, we could very easily be tricked into thinking we're okay. We should never forget 
that giving for the work of the Lord is always a voluntary thing that we do. It's voluntary in nature. And Paul stresses that he's not commanding them the gift of grace. He is strongly encouraging them to consider this act of worship as a gift of grace. The true test of love is not the feelings, but the actions we do. Someone says, I love God, but hates his brother. He is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should also love his brother. That is in 1 John. The voluntary, generous, sacrificial giving modeled by the Macedonians was indeed an example for the church in Corinth. Quite clearly, also for us, for all believers. It is very much part of experiencing God's rich blessing in time and eternity. In conclusion, it may be worth noting that having this teaching of Jesus engraved in our hearts, we then ponder what giving is and what possibly should be at the same time making sure we consider not just one part of our giving, but every aspect of our giving, including all of life, as an offering to the Lord. See, in Acts verse 20, chapter 20, Luke uh, recalls the parting words that Paul was giving to the elders in Ephesus as he was leaving them for the last time. He says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work you must help the weak. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's quite possibly why quite possibly why we as Christian that are guided by his Holy Spirit living in our hearts find it much easier to give than to be a recipient on any gift. And we can always ask the Lord that may he guide us by his Holy Spirit and bless us with an understanding of what it means to be called by him, to live with him eternally. Let us pray. Our loving and gracious Father, we thank you for Paul's message that you gave him to pass on to us. We pray, Lord, that we will ponder these things in our hearts and, and see how we match our lives with the lives of others. But more importantly, Lord, it is when we consider our lives standing before you. May we May we truly come to understand what your salvation means to us, not in today and tomorrow, but in an eternal sense. And may that indeed, may that change some of the things and how we think about them. We pray this, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.